Welcome to the Report Card with Nat Malthus, the education policy podcast from the American Enterprise Institute. This edition of the Report Card is called the COVID-Induced Teacher Shortage Edition, and there's a good reason for the question mark at the end of that title. Every year, it seems, national and local press have to hit their quota of stories on the teacher shortage, and they're often accompanied with words like emergency and crisis. Well, the regularity of those reports could provide reason for some readers' doubts. This year, however, is unlike any other. The coronavirus pandemic has truly put unprecedented stress on teachers, forcing them to adapt to remote instruction, return to hybrid or in-person instruction, and not always smoothly. All the while, they've had to tackle health and mental health concerns for themselves and their students. This kind of turbulence could certainly produce teacher burnout and fatigue that could indeed create a teacher shortage crisis. On this episode, I asked two researchers, Hema Zamaro and Dan Goldhaber, to discuss how COVID has affected teachers' attitudes about remaining in the profession and how bad the teacher shortage schools are now facing actually is. Hema Zamaro is a professor in education reform and economics at the University of Arkansas and an adjunct senior economist at the USC Dornsife Center on Economic and Social Research. Hema is also the author of a recent report on how COVID-19 has impacted how long teachers plan to remain in the profession. And Dan Goldhaber is the director of the Center for Analysis of Longitudinal Data, or CALDER, at the American Institutes for Research. He's also the director of the Center for Education Data and Research at the University of Washington, and the author of a new report on school district staffing in Washington State. Hema and Dan, welcome to the report card. Hi. Thanks, Nat. Hema, there's a lot of competition for the industry and the workers who've been most negatively affected by the pandemic. But schools and teachers have a respectable argument for why they might feel especially fatigued. What are the big challenges that might be pushing teachers out of the profession this year? Yeah, so in our report, we find that teachers became definitely less certain that they will work a full career in the classroom. And there were three factors that helped explain uh, higher intentions to leave, uh, especially because of COVID. Those were teaching, teachers approaching retirement age. So those 55 and older have higher intentions. Health concerns was another reason. And the third reason was having to change teaching modes during the year. It seems that that put a lot of stress um, in teachers' jobs. And Hema, you worked on this paper, which we'll link to in the show notes with uh, Andrew Camp, uh, Dylan Fuchsman, and Josh McGee. You not only compared current attitudes about likelihood of staying in the profession, but you also sort of contrasted that with some pre-pandemic data. So what did you see and change over time? Yeah, so we used data from the RAN American Teacher Panel, and we had uh, collected data in two moments of time in March 2021, and we had some prior data from mid-February, March 2020. And what we see is that when teachers were asked whether they plan to work as a teacher until retirement, we see that they did become less certain that they will over time. So in March 2020, 74% that yes, they plan to work as a teacher until retirement. And in March 2021, this figure went down to 69%. And the 
the proportion of teachers that didn't know uh, so uncertainty went up in March 2020 17% said I don't know and in March 2021 it was 22% so it sounds like there's a uptick in the uncertainty for a number of teachers yes and and you said there's something to do with with age approaching retirement age specifically I'm sure a lot of listeners would immediately go to well, it must be how much time they spent remote because that was one of the, the big differentiators. So how did uh, these disenchantment with the profession, these differences differ over learning environments? Yeah, that was very interesting and surprising result for us. We didn't find that there was a relationship between the mode, teaching mode and um, higher desires or intentions to leave um, because of COVID. It seems that what affects teacher is teachers is having to change them out over time. Most teachers had to change at least once during the 2020-2021 school year. On average, most teachers changed twice. And it seems that that was more than the type of teaching, the, the, the mode of teaching, it was having to change it during the course, what affects them more. Right. So it's more the uncertainty and switching back and forth that may lead to fatigue more than just having to adjust once. Yes. So uh, one more question about this. How big are these shifts in attitudes? And in the intro, I sort of put up the question of, are we approaching a teacher crisis? And that's an important question. So this is a shift of several percentage points. But how would you characterize for the average reader how big a shift should we think about uh, when we're looking at these results? Yeah, so in terms of intentions, they seem big. So if we ask uh, teachers whether they have considered leaving or retiring during the 2020-21 academic year, and we found that in March 21, 42% of teachers declared they have considered leaving. And that contrasts with an average uh, turnover rate of about 16%. So if you look at intentions, it seems that, yes, teachers might live in high numbers. Um, however, we also asked teachers whether they knew other colleagues that have considered leaving and whether they left. And it seems that teachers have considered leaving much more than they have actually left. Dan, I want to shift to you. You've recently done work on the teacher labor markets in Washington State currently. But before we assess sort of what COVID might have done to those numbers, give me a little bit more of a holistic sense. You've been studying this for a while. So, you know, before COVID, we've regularly heard about shortages of teachers, often characterized as a crisis. Have those claims been well-founded in your view? So, Nat, I like the way that you set this up because it, it does seem like every, you know, five or so years, we sort of get the message from the media that the sky is falling and we're going to be short hundreds of thousands of teachers. And I, I don't think that that, that that crisis pitched that way has, has ever materialized. It's partially because we talk about teachers in a very generic way, and I think that that doesn't really move the debate forward at all, because even when you know the the labor market is slack and we don't see you know attrition rates of teachers, you know tick upward, it's still the case that for you know some kinds of schools and school systems, typically high poverty school systems, schools serving um, students of color, that it is much harder to staff those classrooms, and it is 
still the case, even when the media is not covering it, that it is much harder to staff, you know, special education, ELL, special, uh, um, STEM classrooms than it is elementary education. So I, 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 I think this sort of talking about um, the teacher shortage as a crisis is not the right way to think about it. And I think talking about teachers generically is not the right way to think about it. Um, so, but to your answer, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't even get to your, your question. So on COVID, there was, there were, you know, media stories about the teacher shortage that were appearing over the last couple of years. And I don't think we saw much evidence from the, you know, state administrative data uh, bases that um, there was in fact attrition rates that had gone up um, in prior years. So I, I would say the sky is, has not been shown to be falling, but I'm much more worried this year. Um, I think that Hema's evidence is, is compelling. I also think that we're hopefully coming out of you know, the pandemic and that the labor market is very tight. So there are a lot of competing opportunities for teachers. So this year I think really could be different from prior years. So this year could definitely be different, but if, if I'm repeating back what I've heard, it's not as much that there's been a teacher shortage crisis generally, but for some schools, yeah, there's a, a tough time hiring. And then for some subjects, there's particularly a, a hard time hiring. So elementary teachers, not so hard to come by. Special ed teachers, uh, that's a much tougher hiring problem. That's exactly right. And the thing that's troubling about that is that that is true even when no one's talking about this as a crisis, that you still see schools struggle with those particular subjects um, and particular kinds of schools and districts struggle to hire. Okay, so recently you and Trevor Gratz uh, dove into not as much the teacher shortage, but more the demand side of teacher vacancies in Washington state. First question, how do you get good current data on how many openings there are for jobs in education in Washington state? Well, what, what we did, and I use we euphemistically because Trevor gets the credit for this, um, is we scraped the websites of school systems to um, find out how many position announcements of, of different types um, showed up on the line share of school system websites in, in Washington. And then, so we basically just counted, you know, and we could count how many elementary education um, teachers were school systems looking for? How many STEM teachers were school systems looking for? How many, you know, how many bus drivers and paraeducators were school systems looking for? All right. So you looked. What'd you find? Really, we we found a lot of same old, same old. Um, that when you look at position announcements, there's a relatively high demand of. Um, teachers in special education and to teach English language learners and STEM and a relatively low demand to teach at the elementary education level. Um, and we found differences across school system types with high poverty school systems facing relatively higher demand relative to the size of their existing workforces um, than low poverty school systems. And that's that's very consistent of what you would have seen using different kinds of outcome measures over the last, you know, 25 or 30 years. 
So that sort of makes sense, and it actually sort of fits with our problem, right? There's some turnover in teachers. COVID could exacerbate that, and you'd still find the pain points in the same areas where you found the pain points before. So how good of a vantage do you have, at least in Washington State, to compare the, the, the rates of vacancies uh, now with how they might have been pre-pandemic? We have very little window into that. I only know of one other study that uses this kind of um, position announcement data, and it's, it's work that I did a, a number of years ago in California. Um, different state, different labor market circumstances. Um, the data was not, not obtained from scraping. It was obtained directly from a, a vendor that does job postings. So I don't think we actually have good systematic data in states or certainly not nationwide about, about vacancies. Um, so it's a little hard to gauge how do things look now relative to some you know, pre-pandemic time. Hema, I'm curious, how does what Dan found sort of mesh with your research? Yeah, I think it goes in line with my research. I do think that even though we don't have a teacher shortages, we don't have a teacher shortage generally like in main teaching positions i do think we have shortages in certain positions too like substitute teachers um their um support teachers in the school and i think if i think of what is happening overall in the labor market we are seeing that a lot of older workers which is something that i find those who think about living more they they have retired and in contrast with before pandemic uh, most of them appear to have stayed retired now coming back and and i think that can explain kind of what is going on in education like maybe for main positions we have younger teachers but those teachers who retire sometimes they stick in the school maybe in substitute teaching roles and it could be that now those because of health concerns or the situation in the pandemic, they are deciding not to stick around. So we see these pockets of shortages. I also think that even though maybe we don't have an overall huge problem, like Dan says, the fact that even if teacher turnover increases a little bit because of COVID, if it does so in those areas that already had a hard time finding teachers, we can have a big problem there. So I think we should definitely be looking at this problem and uh, keeping an eye on it. Nat, can I just jump in and say, I 100% think everything Hema just said is, is, is right. I also think, I'd echo what I said earlier that we, we, we don't know how to compare the vacancy data to earlier years. I do think the fact that there are, are vacancies you know, in October and, and November um, is a is a real concern because there's a lot of evidence that you know having churn of teachers is bad for student achievement and so this would be um, mid churn um, mid year churn and that teachers that are hired later in the year tend to be less effective so again I think that this year may be different that the I don't know if the sky is falling or not but that the, there is much more of a concern about staffing classrooms now it seems than there has been in prior years. Dan, say just a little bit more about that for our 
listeners who may not be sort of as familiar as the, with the late hire phenomenon. And, and the reason that I bring this up is because, you know, this isn't happening absent a huge learning loss across the board. So, you know, teacher quality right now is at a premium for making up some of this lost ground. So just explain a little bit more how that late hire phenomenon might play into this. Sure. You know, I think schools work their their best to try to get teachers all hired before the school year begins. Um, You know, you really want to have um, teachers function in teams. You know, you want to be not so worried about hiring and begin to be focused on um, curriculum and instruction when the school starts. And so there are these cycles of when hiring typically takes place. You know, we're talking spring, early summer, hopefully. But there's evidence that it's the, the folks that turn out to be the most effective teachers that tend to be hired first. And so if you get um, into, the, into the fall um, and there are classrooms that are not staffed, then it's certainly not going to be true for everybody. For, but on average, the folks that get hired late tend not to be, you know, the best teacher applicants. And so we worry a little bit more about what that signals more broadly if there are lots of people who are hired late. Yeah, I would like to add to that. I think something that worries me a lot is that I interpret my results as telling us that teachers are not okay. Levels of burnout are high. And high levels of job dissatisfaction. So if people are, if teachers are really unhappy in the classroom, that can affect teacher quality and teacher effectiveness. So even if teachers don't leave, I think this could, in terms of teacher quality, this could be a big problem if teachers are really not okay in a time when we need them most. Right. So the burnout factor can affect turnout, uh, turnover rather. And if it doesn't, it can affect productivity at the same workforce. Exactly. So when you consider teacher labor markets, you, you make a big error if you divorce them from the larger labor market where teachers might find other jobs. And you've described that as tight. Can, can you lay out what the larger labor markets are looking like and how that may play into teacher decisions to retire or quit or stay? Yeah, so I think labor markets are recovering, but it's still not fully. And for certain groups, it's still very slow. We are still missing about 1.5 million women in the labor force. Um, In total, we have like 3.6 million more Americans out of the labor force that say they don't want a job as compared with two years ago. So what we see is that labor force participation is still down, especially for some groups. And like I said, older Americans, so those 55 and older, actually account for a majority of this group that is out of the labor force and they say they don't want to come back. And what we have seen is a decline on the number of older workers coming back. So if we think that teaching profession is mostly female and some teaching roles, like I think some supportive roles might rely on older workers, um, it seems that we, those are still, and maybe it's because of health concerns, um, working conditions have changed with the pandemic. If you have some commodities, you might not feel comfortable being in front of many kids, um, that we are lacking those workers, I think, even though the economy is recovering, right? So unemployment rate has been down, but labor force participation is still down. 
I, I do think that the the fact that the economy is in a much better place than it was over the last couple of years is is important. I mean, the unemployment rate is down from you know over ten percent to close to to four percent. So I, I think that that what we're seeing in the in the the teacher labor market right now is reflective of the larger labor market where we see you know more turnover and um, problems with with staffing kind of across the board. Um, so we we're we're talking a lot about teachers and and that's appropriate, but I also think that school systems are struggling with paraeducators and bus drivers and some of the kinds of positions that help to make schools run uh, effectively. And those are exactly the kind of kind of positions that we're seeing uh, employers struggle with hiring um, outside of the teacher labor market. Some some positions where you know the the, the pay might be a little bit lower, um, and there are lots of other opportunities that are popping up in the labor market for people who might you know be employed as a paraeducator. Dan, you totally jumped the gun on my next question, and I'll add one to that, which is substitutes. Yep, which is an integral part to you know keeping schools running in a normal year must be exacerbated in a year where we still have Delta and now Omicron threatening and so forth. There's there's lots of problems there. And you laid out para educators, which in your data seem to be one of the greatest um, vacancy positions, the most common vacancy positions, bus drivers and substitutes. And it seems to me that if you are a school district administrator or a school principal trying to run a school smoothly after this turbulence, that those are going to be real tough areas to fill. Does that sound right? That's right. And I think it's especially a concern this year because as, as you laid out, Nat, we, um, we probably shouldn't be thinking about returning to normal we really need to be helping kids recover. And that means that the schools need to, over the next couple of years, be more effective than they have been. And so, um, you know, schools have 200, or they're in the process of getting $200 billion of federal money for recovery. Um, and that means that they are, they are trying to staff up and kind of jumpstart student academic recovery in a way that we've never tried before. Um, and that makes the, you know, the labor crunch all that much more um, serious than it would have been in a, if we were, were operating in a normal year. Let me ask about ESSER funding. ESSER funding is the COVID relief funding that came in three tranches to school districts, and it's a lot of money. Um, and, and with that kind of money, you could expect it to have an effect on hiring and you could expect some districts are going to increase their hiring, hire more staff, which could inflate the sense of, of the shortage. Dan, how do you think districts are using that money and is it tougher for them to use it effectively when, at least in some areas, they're already struggling, struggling to hire uh, sufficient staff? Yeah, so I think that they are, they are using it in a variety of different ways. I'm working with some folks on a, a project looking at various kinds of COVID um, academic recovery initiatives that districts are employing. And they're all the kinds of things that you, um, that you might expect. Tutoring, uh, supplemental time at the end of the day or on Saturdays, you know, double dosing in particular subjects. Um, and a lot of the ways that schools are using the ESSER money 
require people. <laughs> you know, there's there's some you know there's some uh, uh, there's some automation in in what we're seeing out there in in terms of online tutoring, for instance. That automation is probably not the right way to characterize it, but some where they're not actually purchasing more people inside the school district, but all of the hiring. For, for COVID recovery is probably exacerbating the difficulties that school systems are currently facing to um, implement COVID recovery strategies. And we're seeing that there are places that are saying, you know, we want to, um, you know, have a special program at a particular school, but we are having trouble getting enough bus drivers to get the kids to the hub school where the program's going to take place. Um, I, I, and I think we just don't really know um, kind of across the board, how much of a challenge the, the labor market is right now for COVID recovery strategies, because frankly, we don't know enough systematically about COVID recovery strategies that are going on. Yeah, there's a real dearth of information, but just the challenge for districts seems here's a short term, large amount of money for a lot of districts. You need to spend it. Well, typically when schools spend a lot of money, they got to spend it on FTEs. They're, they're not buying a whole bunch of other things that can soak up those dollars. And so if hiring is a challenge, that it seems like a particularly tough challenge, given a baseline teacher shortage that you may be facing, no matter its nuances. Yeah, this 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 year, this year, for sure, it's the the extra money, the conditions in the labor market. Uh, all of that is a, a, a mix to make hiring a real challenge this year. It, it, it could lead to a school district administrator shortage if we're not uh, <laughs> if we're not careful. Um, let me pick each of your brains about sort of media coverage on this issue. And this comes up frequently, as I noted at the introduction. We see these stories. Sometimes they seem overblown or overgeneralized. And when, when you cruise Twitter or, uh, you know, read news online. How do you think reports have captured this this year and this fall? Dan? Well, the, <laughs> this topic makes me crazy because um, there have been lots of very prominent reports that I think do not do the topic the justice that it deserves in, in terms of nuance. And um, and there have been some very good reports that have. So I, I don't want to say that you know the the news media has completely missed the boat because there are some reports that have been indeed very nuanced. But the issue that I would take is the treatment again of the staffing challenge as a generic one. I think that you you really need to think about the different kinds of skills that you're trying to hire for. And again, I'd, I'd highlight um, ELL, English language learners and, and special education um, and STEM um, teachers, that those, those tend to be the, the teachers that are much harder to hire than the elementary ed teachers. And the fact that, um, you know, disadvantaged school, school serving disadvantaged students have a harder time right now staffing their classrooms. And these results, this is not a new phenomenon. This has been true for the last, you know, 20 or 30 years. So we know this. So reports that don't get into that level of nuance, I think, would tend to lead to solutions like, you know, an across the board teacher pay raise that are uh, a mile wide and an inch deep. So I do think we need solutions, but I think that they need to be a, a bit more targeted than, you know, 
the, the kind of um, solution you would get if you think that the problem is very generic. Emma, your thoughts on how it's been covered? Yeah, so I share the same thoughts for us. It's been very difficult. We have a couple of situations where our report was interpreted from what it says, that is teachers are thinking about living more to teachers are living more. That was the title they put. So we had a fight to try to explain that um, the fact that they are thinking about living more doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to live more. It's still a problem that we, you know, it's telling us that they are burned out, that they are dissatisfied, and even if they don't live, it's a problem, but that doesn't mean that we are lacking teachers right now in the classroom. So, it, it, um, yeah, like that, they have been very good reporting, but at the same time, a little bit of a push in certain circumstances where they want to make it more extreme. So, Hema, I'm curious about your thoughts about what school principals, building building principals, and district supervisors might be able to do to, to work on these things. Because, Dan, you mentioned, well, you could you could call for an across-the-board pay raise. Those are hard to, to gin up for a school district. It's not like you can just uh, turn around and, and make those decisions very easily. It's a political decision. I, I'm just wondering, what are the levers that districts and principals might be able to pull when they're facing a specific shortage or, or a difficulty getting the staff they need? Are, are their hands tied or are there a number of things that they can do? Yeah, I'm not sure about like outside from like trying to increase pay for those positions that um, they have a hard time finding someone for, uh, I'm not sure they can do much more to attract more people into those um, positions. I do think that, I mean, principals and administrators have a very important role in terms of the teacher burnout that we are seeing. I think taking a step back, making sure, you know, it will be hard work, but working on the schedules, making sure that teachers have a breather. I think also like the substitute teacher shortages is adding to the burnout of teachers. Sometimes they have to, you know, it's a teacher there, maybe it's the music teacher, and we are lacking a teacher, so it's a substitute for the day, and they don't have planning time, they don't have for uh, what I have talked of, uh, of teachers, and this is not new. I mean, this is a problem that was already there, but again, with COVID, just a bit of a change can really become a struggle. Um, so I think thinking on the schedules, making sure that teachers have a breather. I think also teachers are spending a lot more time with like COVID um, and administrators too. It would be nice to have a study like this with principals, right? Like how are principals doing? I'm sure they are not okay either. Having to manage all the COVID restrictions, like like moving kids from one classroom to the other becomes a whole bigger activity because they have to be distanced, they have to be in certain order, uh, the same like with supervising, dividing playgrounds, so they play in different groups, like all those rules have added to their job as teachers. Um, so finding ways to minimize the burden uh, will be important. Nat, can I just add that school systems face a, a real conundrum right now because they're, they, they're trying to staff up they're trying to help kids recover, but at the same time, they, they don't wanna create circumstances um, such that when the federal money runs out, um, 
they have staffs that they cannot support with what is um, their, their finances in, in regular times, the so-called fiscal cliff. And so that, that is, that's, that's tough. Um, so I, I would say, you know, in, in this kind of the short run, it seems like they could be investing in trying to make sure that people don't leave. Um, so, you know, bonuses for, for retention. That seems like a smart strategy is, is um, trying to just make sure that you don't lose the folks that you don't want to lose. Um, and then I also think that they need to be creative and that there could be some creative solutions that would be good not only for helping school systems today, but would be helping to train the teachers of tomorrow. So it seems like this is kind of an, uh, an area where there could be natural partnerships with teacher education programs to maybe get um, teacher candidates into classrooms to serve as paraeducators, to serve in support roles, and get some experiences in the classrooms that, that look like they would be valuable, and also be helping out schools in this time where we're trying to recover from a crisis. Those sound like good ideas, but I got to say, Dan, when you say we need to get creative, that often sounds like we don't have any solutions at hand. And uh, it seems like a tough year to be a, a district administrator, particularly uh, or, or particularly a principal where you're facing uh, a hiring challenge. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's that's that's right. It's easy for a researcher to sit back on a podcast and say, let's get creative. Yeah, it, it seems like a tough season. So. Let me wrap up by asking you to make a prediction. If if now's a tough season, do we expect this unhappiness among teachers and the, the burnout to continue or exacerbate? And do we expect these teacher shortages to stay tough? Or are we really maybe at sort of the top of this, the crest of this wave, and that things, you know, assuming that the pandemic sort of is winding down or at least turning to an endemic, status. Do you think that there's uh, better days ahead? Dan? I, I, I think there are probably, um, <laughs> I'm of two minds. I think there are probably better days ahead in the sense that um, we're going to return to um, normalcy. But I want to stress that I think normalcy is not a good state of affairs because we have not addressed the underlying labor market issues that exists in and have existed in the teacher labor market and we've been aware of for many, many years. Um, so I, I, I think that's true. I also think, and this is advertising a little bit of a, 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 some different research, but where we looked at attrition in Washington over, I think it was 35 years and the attrition rate from you know, the low attrition year to the high attrition year differs by about four percentage points um, and varies from year to year, typically by less than a percentage point. And, you know, again, this year could be different. And I, and, and I think there's some reasons to think that it might be. But my guess is that when we're looking at the, the teacher labor market in the rearview mirror, that it won't look all that different than it does in other years where the labor market has gotten much tighter. The dot-com you know, uh, bubble, et cetera. Um, and, and so, um, my guess is we return to normal, but normal's not a good state of affairs. Emma, can I get you to make a prediction too? Yeah, sure. So I, I'm a bit like Dan. 
I would say before this variant came out, I was more optimistic with vaccines for kids. I thought that could control health concerns, that will make teachers feel better. That was one of the factors that affected teachers' considerations to leave. I'm not sure how things will go, assuming we control, we get to some normal state, even if it's a bit different. I am with that. I think the we will go back to what we had and what we had was not great. I think what we should keep in mind is that COVID has had this um, quality of showing light into the problems that we already had and showing those problems very clearly. So I hope that we take the time to reflect on what teachers are telling us are go they are going through and, um, and sit together to try to find solutions so we don't go back to what we had because what we had was not great. Emma, Dan, thanks for your research and thanks for coming on the report card to talk about it. Thank you. Good to be with you, Nat. Thanks for listening to the report card with Nat Malkus and special thanks to our guests, Dan Goldhaber and Hema Zamaro. We'll include links to both Hema and Dan's reports in the show notes. As always, thanks to our producer, Wesley Armstrong, who makes this podcast possible. And remember, you can subscribe to the report card on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And while you're there, take a minute and leave us a review to help other people find the show. Send us your comments, questions, and topic suggestions to ed.podcast at AEI.org. That's it for this episode. I'm Matt Knox.